All right, and welcome back to the latest episode of Favorite Things. Uh, I'm Mark, and as always, my co-host, Betsy. Hi! Uh, it's been a week since we watched Spider-Man 2002, uh, and in the week since, we've seen Dune, uh, the, the latest movie by Denny Villeneuve, uh, as well as watched Spider-Man 2. And uh, so... I'm briefly going to talk about Dune. Uh, I think I still need to collect my thoughts more on how I feel about it. Yeah. Um, to give a super informed, this is how I feel about it, whether it's a favorite thing or not. The short version is, uh, it's absolutely everything that an adaptation of the story of Dune needs to be. Um, at least the first half of the adaptation anyhow uh the the things that i would have liked to have seen that aren't in the movie or um would have done differently a lot of that is personal taste it, it has very little to do with the quality of the movie hands down it might be the best quality sci-fi movie i've seen in a while mm-hmm. um it, it it has a definitive point of view in Denny Villeneuve's storytelling and visual style. Um, I absolutely adore the design and uh, filmmaking processes, the acting, everything technically is perfect. Um, there, there are choices in the movie that I'm still, again, I'm trying to wrap my head around. <laughs> The, the thing I will say about this movie is, with any adaptation of Dune, it's thought-provoking. Uh, if, if you pay attention and actually make it through it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are very turned off to Dune, either as a book or as a movie or as a miniseries, and all the various adaptations it's been, it's come around to, because it is very heady sci-fi. Um, it's actually a kind of a, a prototype in in a lot of science fiction for what we have now a lot of star wars uh a lot of the game of thrones series uh a lot of other sci-fi owe their roots to dune Mm -hmm. and uh it's a book that was written in the 50s uh by a, a man of russian descent named frank herbert and it's I could be absolutely wrong about that. I'm pretty sure he's of Russian descent. <laughs> uh, I thought I remembered reading that, and then I decided to check myself just in case. I'm I'm fully editing his Wikipedia uh, without actually doing any any stuff. <laughs> it's been years since I've read anything about the man Frank Herbert. Anyhow, uh, as far as a property, it's very similar the book anyhow it's very similar to uh J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings in that it's very dense it's almost more of a history piece than a a modern sci-fi or fantasy novel um so uh it's all right we briefly paused (laughs) because Betsy seemed a little distracted. I was concerned that a message had come in or something important. <laughs> Sorry. 
And uh, apparently she was looking up and fact-checking me on Frank Herbert, yeah. who we found out is an American-born author. So, uh, yeah, we've worked out a signal since then. If if she's going to look something up, she'll she'll give me a little bit of a heads up without, you know, staring at her phone, looking like she's Googling what's the, ne the next uh, time I can get a cab and get out of here. Any Sorry. Anyhow. Yeah. Um, all of this to say, it's it's a piece of fiction that's very old uh, in terms of modern pop culture. It's got a certain uh, pedigree to it. It's written in a very different style than most modern fiction. So most people who try to read uh, either Dune or Lord of the Rings right now have a hard time jumping into it because it's not written like a modern piece of literature. Yeah. It's written... Uh, it's written in an entirely different format. Mm -hmm. Bring that into adaptations in 1984, uh, 2000, 2003, and now 2021. And each of those plays with some similarity, but also very, very different. Um, whereas other, other properties that I might watch or engage with, um, they, they play very similar, uh, no matter how you, you watch them. Um, the Spider-Man origin story, uh, unless you go very different with it, plays out very similarly across every adaptation. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of this week's topic. Um, <laughs> but the Dune story, there are things that are very similar. The, the blue eyes of the Fremen... Uh, the the fact that they knife fight, uh, there's a lot of stuff that's very similar. And then there's stuff that's very, very, very different. Um, the presence of shields when they fight, uh, mm -hmm. do they use them or not? Uh, things like that play different. Uh, even what is the big conflict of the story? In the 1984 adaptation... Uh, it's very centralized to the character of Paul, played by Kyle MacLachlan, um, who is uh, is good as as Paul Atreides. But in this, in the same way, uh, David Lynch, when he does that movie, you actually hear the internal monologues of all the characters, and it's very, very different than yeah. most other modern movies. They find ways to externalize those internal thoughts. Uh, the 2000 miniseries, uh, actually because it's got some room to breathe over three two-hour nights, uh, it had the chance to give some exposition. Uh, it plays out more like a, a season of Game of Thrones in that there are political maneuverings and all sorts of things that you're not expecting um, in and out of, of this story. In the 2021 film, it plays it plays with a lot of the best parts of both of those while leaving out things that I, I would have loved to have seen more of the political. I would have loved to have seen more of the background, more of the nuance. And we'll do a full-blown Dune episode at some point. Yeah. Maybe it'll be a, a bonus episode where we talk about the three different adaptations plus Children of Dune. But um, I've I've got the thing I will say that that 
the movie did better than anything else is it has me wanting to watch all the Dune content and listen to and read all the Dune content I can get my hands on because it's refreshed that property in my brain. I even want to rewatch this movie uh, because of this year being we're still in a pandemic. Uh, the movie was simultaneously released in theaters and on HBO Max. I'm going to rewatch it on HBO Max at least one or two more times yeah. or as many times as I can get in before it rolls off. <laughs> Uh, and I might even, if I've got a, a free evening, I might go see it in theaters again because the way Denny Villeneuve filmed this movie, I just rewatched the opening scene again here at home and watching it in a theater, specifically watching it in a 4K or IMAX theater, it is massive. It overtakes your senses. And there are moments in the film that are meant to overwhelm you that overwhelm you in yeah. the theater um and we'll talk about that eventually when we when we do a full-on review of dune but i will say if you're even remotely curious or you have any background in dune go see this movie in theater if you're comfortable going to a theater if not i would stream it in hbo on hbo max or uh wait until it comes out on 4k blu-ray and and watch it that way it's it's an impressive feat of filmmaking. It's all around one of the best films I've seen this year. Um, I might I might go out on a limb and say it is a better made film uh, than No Time to Die. I don't know that I enjoyed it more than No Time to Die, but it is a better film. Um, so uh, if you're the least bit interested in Dune at all, um, PG-13, uh, it's actually more toned down in the actual violence and and things that you see on the screen than the miniseries in 2000. That said, it is darker and it is heavier and thematically it is more intense than the miniseries was. Mm -hmm. So do with that what you will. If you're interested, check it out. Uh, if not, I understand, but if you're remotely interested in political uh, feudal systems and sci-fi and fantasy mixed together, uh, I'd check it out. Uh, if you're not, well, uh, there's always reality television. And God loves you anyway. <laughs> hey, I like reality television. And, especially God, when and God loves you he anyway. Does, especially when it's food related. Okay, we're going to take a quick break so I can grab some water. And when we come back, we're going to be talking all about Spider-Man 2 from 2004.
So, Spider-Man 2, 2004. Uh, I remember seeing this in theaters with some friends from my youth group uh, on opening night. It was a packed out theater. Uh, I had a dear, dear, stupid, stupid friend who uh, snuck into the theater with us. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, he wasn't the smartest guy. Anyhow. Did uh, he get caught? No, that... So there's probably one person out there somewhere that's like, I don't have a seat. There's no open seat. Yeah. It, yeah. I I love the modern era of reserved seating in theaters. Yes. I'm As a person who's a rule follower, I, I adore that. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah. I digress. Um, so this movie, I mentioned last week that I saw this movie and I felt disappointed leaving. And... Um, I don't, I don't fully remember where my head was at, um, seeing this movie. I just graduated high school. I was, uh, I was getting ready for college. I, I don't remember much about this time other than that. I just remember seeing this movie, um, and it was fine. I enjoyed some of the Spider-Man adventure parts of it, but I remember just feeling disappointed mm. at overall. Um, and then when everyone was so high on the movie, I felt conflicted because I could see the parts that they appreciated, but I was having trouble connecting with where they were at. And so I think I have come to appreciate the things that people appreciate about this movie, but the things that bothered me about it back then, I think they bother me even more now. Okay. So, this this movie, uh, released in 2004, um, Alfred Molina joins the cast as uh, Dr. Otto Octavius, Dr. Octopus, and um, I will say... I was right and I was wrong. <laughs> I, w- I was right in that this movie has moments that are so much worse than the lowest lows of the last movie. I was wrong in that this movie is much better made than the first one. <laughs> so I'll, I'll explain myself. So first of all, uh, Aunt May in the previous movie... Um, Mary Jane in the previous movie, even Peter in the previous movie, were so much caricatures that there was no real personhood to those characters. Yeah. Um, I did not, and still don't, believe Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. Um, if the mask is off and, and Tobey Maguire is doing anything, I don't believe it. When the mask is on and it is more than likely a stunt person or CGI, <laughs> uh, I believe the character of Spider-Man. Yeah. And so, in this movie, a lot of those rough edges are actually taken off mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, and... They make 
the nerdy side of Peter Parker much less mm-hmm. until they ratcheted all the way up to, to 11 on a scale of 1 to 10. <laughs> and um, so having read some background, looked into it, Sam, Sam Raimi, a fan of the comics from the 60s and 70s, kind of bailed out by the time the 80s rolled around because he'd grown up and he'd moved on to other things. Um, is And I just listened to... Uh, the kind of funny podcast is actually re-reviewing. They reviewed back in 2018 the Spider-Man movies. They're re-going over all of them again this year, and uh, this time they've got a whole new crew in with the crowd that's re-reviewing. Anthony Carboni of StarWars.com has joined the crew, and he brings up Sam Raimi's love of early Spider-Man, and uh, it's actually nice. Always, always nice to have new insights into things. But it reminded me that. This is not the Spider-Man that I grew up with from the 80s and 90s and early aughts. And so, if I'm looking at that Spider-Man, it's the Spider-Man that in the opening, like, three years of the comic book is super nerdy when he's Peter Parker. I mean, he's still wearing the glasses. Yeah. And then he's, when he's Spider-Man, he's... He's not the Spider-Man we know now. He's not ultra quippy. He's not um, as suave. He's he's super powered, but he's super powered Peter Parker. Yeah. Whereas the Spider-Man we know now is Peter Parker. He's shy and he's he's not that confident. But when he's Spider-Man, he's super confident and and overly. It it's that that fantasy of being able to say whatever you wanted to say. Yeah. Uh, whenever you had that person that you wanted to make a smart-ass comment to, when you're wearing the mask, you make the comment. Um, right. And and so that... It's a very different character. And so I'm, I'm trying to set my mind on this is where Raimi is as he's making these movies. And the first one is Spider-Man... 1960s and uh as as anthony carboni said it a timeless new york and except for the moments where it's obviously 2000s new york um it gets closer i wish they had made it more timeless i think it would have been better but the first movie is 1960s spider-man peter parker's super nerdy uh, you've got all these cardboard cutout characters that are very much comic book characters from the 1960s. This is more like Spider-Man from the 1970s, uh, where you've got Stan Lee still working on the comic, but like uh, Roy Thomas and John Romita Sr. are working on it. Uh, Peter's in college. Um, he's working odd jobs to make it work. He's kind of, you know broken down and uh, it's around this time you get some really interesting comic book stories uh, uh, including the uh, the death of Gwen Stacy mm-hmm. and comic books of that sort great time for comics uh, some of the all time best Spider-Man stories come from that time and so this movie it feels very different while having some ties to, to Spider-Man 1 um as nerdy as Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man can be in this movie, he's not as nerdy as I remember him being. Okay. 
Uh, so, uh, the things that ratchet the the geeky and nerdiness up to eleven is him riding a motorized bike, and I'm gonna call it that because it's not a motorbike, right? And it's not a scooter. It's, it's like it, a moped. It's literally a converted bicycle with a motor on it. So it's not even a moped. Not really. Yeah. It's it's super geeky, and then he wears hands down the geekiest helmet you <laughs> yeah. could wear in in New York City. Yeah. And and then there's the times where Peter's talking, specifically talking to Mary Jane, and he's saying stuff like, "Oh boy," and gee and language that no one since 1959 has used in an actual conversation (laughs) and it just feels so hokey and so hokey that even superman from 1978's superman the movie would be like all right pal you you need to cool it down and maybe get it watch a modern movie or two you know figure out how people talk now yeah (laughs) but uh things i absolutely let's get to the things i love things i didn't love uh dr octopus best spider-man villain uh so far willem dafoe is fantastic as the green goblin i absolutely adore that character uh and the dichotomy of the two sides Dr. Octopus is so much of a nuanced performance, and that might even just be comparatively, but Alfred Molina gives such a good performance that I I appreciate it a lot more now than I did in 2004. Um, the things I, uh, I like Aunt May in this movie, uh, this is the best that character in the Sam Raimi movies is, period. Uh, so just to let you guys know, next week is going to be a rough one. And uh, I, I have not seen the editor's cut. I know that it changes some things. It does not change the whole movie. Um, so just a heads up, next week I'm going to have a lot more negative than this week, so buckle up. Um, but... I, the things, uh, the super heroics in this movie, Spider-Man is the most Spider-Man I think he is in this trilogy. Um, he does really cool, cool moves. There's a car chase where he swings between a tractor trailer's trailer and the cab during a chase. And it is, I was watching the movie and I'd been cynical about something a moment before. And I was like, okay, I got to admit that's cool. Yeah. Um, Things I don't like, there are long lulls in this movie that are so boring. The conversations are non-conversations. Anything that's happening that doesn't involve the main conflict between Peter and Spider-Man, the centralized conflict, which is genuinely interesting in this movie, the conflict between Spider-Man and Dr. Octavius, or... Peter figuring out how to just be a person doesn't work. Anything with Peter and MJ doesn't work in this movie until the very end of the movie. 
and even that I, I have some comments about. Yeah. Um, Harry's character in this movie is all over the place and ranges from ridiculous to uh, kind of a tragic character and it's all over the place. He, There is no consistency to this character. I want to like him and like the conflict, but the writing never gives him a central through line. The, even how obsessed he is about Spider-Man ricochets around the room. At the beginning of the movie, he's like, hey, Peter, we're all hunky-dory. Peter, I hate you because you, you, you're profiting over Spider-Man's pictures. Yeah. Oh, I really don't like Spider-Man. Bring me Spider-Man's head. Well, it, since Peter's Spider-Man, it can't be all bad. Spider-Man. And it just, it never, I never believe how he feels about Spider-Man because he never gives a clear indication of how he feels about Spider-Man. And and that's a problem, especially considering it sets up one of the central conflicts of the next movie. Yeah. Um, Mary Jane, again, is just plot dressing. She is not a person. Yeah. The little bit of agency they give her in this movie is only to give Peter something to do. It is only to give Peter a little bit of redemption. Not even a full redemption, but a little bit of redemption. But even then, the writing is so awful. Awful from a 1970s comic book standpoint. (laughs) It is so stilted and awful. The phrase Spider-Man no more is used way too often. And for a movie that is an adaptation, which means not a a straight on retelling, but a, hey, we're going to make this a modern take on this character. They hang on that phrase from the comic books, which is stilted in the comic books, yeah. but they they hang on it so much that it makes it makes every time that it's said feel awful. Yeah. And if it sounds like I'm being harsh on this movie, it, it's because the writers of this movie are not bad writers. Okay. They wrote really good storytelling in television form. Uh, the writers of this movie, uh, two of the main credited writers, are Miller and Goff, who wrote Smallville seasons one through seven, okay. which actually has some really interesting conflict. Uh, the character dynamic between Peter and Harry is supposed to be the conflict between Clark and Lex in Smallville. It's oh. that conflict of, I know you're hiding something, but you won't tell me what it is. Why won't you be my friend? Right. And you have these two characters that are on a collision course with each other, but won't, they'll talk to each other. They're in quotes, friends, but they won't talk to each other. And that's a good conflict to have. Unfortunately, the writing doesn't support it in this movie. (laughs) And for a conflict that played out over seven seasons, very well, week to week, 
I'm surprised it didn't play out better here for different characters, but in identical situation. Yeah. And so, again, anything Spider-Man, or the conflict between Peter and Spider-Man, or the conflict between Peter and Doc Ock, or Doc Ock and Spider-Man works. Anything around romance is awful. Anything around... It's... Yeah. Bringing it home with the biggest positive, once again, stealing the show, J.K. Simmons. Yep. Give this man all the Oscars for being the best J. Jonah Jameson to ever walk the planet. <laughs> yeah. So, overall, I like this movie. Uh, I think that quality-wise, it is ha- heads and, and shoulders above the original Spider-Man. Uh, Enjoyment-wise, I think the lows on this one bring them both pretty close to each other for me. Um, but I enjoyed it. It, I did have some times, especially during the sequence where Peter is getting his life together and they play raindrop, raindrops keep drop falling on my head. Um, I think during that sequence, I checked Twitter a couple of times. Uh-huh. It just, it doesn't work for me. Yeah, I um, know as the movie was going about like this just doesn't work for this part of this movie it's just well it it doesn't work for me because the through line of this movie is that peter needs to be the hero and and ultimately that's what he needs to be that's his destiny and i think that's what the movie is trying to tell us is to embrace your destiny it's going to have some cost and I, I think that's what the movie's trying to tell you. And it even does a good job of showing early on that if it's costing too much, you might need to figure out, you might need to reorder things. Yeah. It doesn't need to cost everything, but it's going to cost something. And, and, and that inherently is a good message, is your destiny is going to cost something. But it doesn't have to cost everything. Yeah. The message that the movie tells though is it'll either cost everything or it'll cost nothing because at the end of the movie Peter's got everything he wants or so he thinks yeah and and that's a that's a bad message and the the way it's written is is a is a bad piece of writing because at the end of the movie uh MJ comes in and goes something to the effect of isn't it time someone saved you and well well, no what you're we're forming a codependent relationship in this moment no this is a bad idea a better response or better piece of writing in that movie and here I am editing a movie that's almost 20 years old (laughs) a better piece of writing in that moment is MJ runs into Peter and she goes, look, first of all, when he explains why they can't be together, it should have been, hey, Spider-Man is always going to come first, and a relationship is never going to work if Spider-Man's always first. Mm-hmm. And he goes, and that's why I have to do this, and that's why we can't be together. And that would have been a great breakup scene between the two of them, and he sends her off to get married to, to her fiancé. Yeah. And then she comes back to him and says, first of all, you don't get to make that decision. 
I understand that this costs you almost everything. And you have the weight of the world on your shoulders. You don't have to carry that alone. That piece of writing, just changing those two pieces yeah. of, of conversation between the two of them, makes it so much less stilted and makes it, one, it makes Peter understand what he's doing and why, and yeah. makes it his decision that, hey, Spider-Man comes first. I'm sorry. It's a conversation that cops have with their wives. Uh, and, and it's the reason that there is a high divorce rate with police officers. Mm -hmm. Hey, the job comes first. Yeah. And it's a, it's a conversation that is good conflict because in that point, this comes first, but I want to have a relationship or this comes first. I'm sorry. We can't have a relationship. It creates good conflict yeah. and good relational conflict for a drama. And in this movie, no one's ever, it feels like no one's ever having the same argument. Right. <laughs> Which I guess is kind of human because that's where most of my fights come from is I'm not having the same fight as the other person. But yeah. in a two-hour movie as opposed to a 24-7 life, <laughs> in a two-hour movie that is hyper-focused and hyper-realized, I think there was a cleaner way to do it. Yes. So we're going to take a quick break because we're about to run out of recording on our, our free half hour recording time. When we come back, we'll get into the plot of Spider-Man 2. And uh, so be right back. So Spider-Man 2 starts out the way Spider-Man 2002 started uh, with Danny Elfman's score. Um, and Danny Elfman does a fantastic job on this film, um, which is why it's really sad that he and Sam Raimi had a falling out during this film. Uh, Sam Raimi does not return for Spider-Man 3. And... Uh, he apparently was hurt so much by whatever went on that at the time he said that he and Sam Raimi would never work again. And they didn't until 2013's Oz the Great and Powerful. Um, but they haven't worked after that uh, together. Uh, before that, they had collaborated quite frequently. But something, something happened between them. I'm not going to gossip or anything like that. My guess is bad communication, all the other stuff that breaks up yeah. friendships and, and human beings. But all that to say, uh, this movie starts out so well. And Danny Elfman's score between the Spider-Man theme and the Dr. Octopus theme really carries the weight of this movie. And some of the high highs are are elevated because of that score and the opening uh with the score and the alex ross artwork recapping the first movie um really 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 send this movie into the stratosphere uh fun fact for all you listeners out there alex ross uh is one of my favorite artists um wrote a ton of comic books for marvel dc and some independent uh, publishers but he actually helped in the designing of the Spider-Man costume for the films. Uh, his original concept for the film 
uh, is an alternate costume in the 2002 Spider-Man the movie uh, video game. Uh, so we jump into this movie. Spider-Man's been doing this for a bit. He's still in college, although all of his friends are already working. So that means this could be anywhere from a year after the last <laughs> movie to six years later. Um, and as we see, uh, Spider-Man is killing it. Peter Parker sucks at life. Yeah. And uh, he sucks at life as a pizza delivery guy on the world's worst motorcycle. <laughs> and uh, he gets out there, uh, can't drive in New York, not that anyone else can. And uh, Joe's Pizza apparently still in the year 2004 has a 30 minute guarantee for deep dish pizzas. 28 minute guarantee. 28 minute guarantee. Now, I understand that this is a movie about superheroes that can do whatever a spider can. <laughs> Who the hell thinks that you can make it more than 30 feet in New York in 28 minutes, let alone make a pizza right. and deliver it in 28 minutes? I mean, and how much time does a deep dish pizza take to bake? So, I mean, so I a typical pizza, a typical just... Rising crust pizza. Yeah. Okay, not not a flat crust pizza in a in a wood fire oven. We're talking over 500 degrees cooking. It's going to take you a good 10, ten about about ten, ten minutes. minutes. Yeah. A deep dish pizza, which on average is going to be double the depth, right. is going to take more time. Right. So, let's say. To be generous, to be generous, the cook time is 16 minutes. Yeah. That leaves 12 minutes to get anywhere in the city. Right. Okay. We don't... Because Peter, in the movie, drives a good five blocks. Okay. Which, in any sort of traffic, carrying food is an accomplishment. So here in low traffic, middle Tennessee, most places have a delivery range of two to four miles. Okay. In New York City, Manhattan, gridlock traffic. <laughs> I'm thinking four blocks max. Yeah. For the 28-minute guarantee. And anything outside of that is, if you get it within an hour, you're you're getting it within a reasonable right. time frame. Uh, so, fun fact for any of you younger listeners out there, Domino's used to have a 30-minute delivery guarantee until uh, their delivery drivers were getting so many tickets and uh, automobile accidents yeah. and even a few fatalities that they stopped the 30 minute delivery guarantee. Because didn't Domino's have a thing that says if you get a ticket while delivering your pizzas, we'll take care of it for you. Yeah, so like, all, all of that to say, there's a reason this doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah. And in the places where it does, it is a menace. More than Spider-Man could ever possibly be yeah. is the 30 minute delivery. J. Jonah Jameson, as we'll see in a later scene, should be writing stories about Joe's Pizza and the imminent danger that it is creating in the city. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, so Peter, uh, of course, 
seeing that he's going to fail, turns into Spider-Man, saves a little girl, while at the same time uh, either making Spider-Man out to be a pizza thief or showing that he is Spider-Man. A fun uh, fan theory that I've heard out there and I really like for this movie and the Raimi movies is everyone knows that Peter is Spider-Man, but none of them are letting Peter know that they know. Yeah. And, uh, so Peter gets fired uh, after failing to deliver pizza to Bones, uh, yeah. who is working her job before she's a, before she's a forensic pathologist. Uh, and the way that Joe fires or Mr. Aziz, pardon me, uh, fires uh, <laughs> fires Peter is by ripping the sticker off of his doofy helmet, <laughs> and uh, somehow making the doofy helmet look doofier. Yeah. So. Uh, we get approximately a minute and a half of Peter as Spider-Man, and now we're going to have to endure 30 minutes of Peter Parker. All right. Uh, so from this scene, uh, we go, uh, we see Peter, uh, suck at being a student. Uh, he goes and, uh, talks with his professor, Kirk Connors, uh, who is supposed to be missing an arm, yet when he walks away, you can clearly see the outline of his arm under his coat. Uh, Peter goes home, and we see uh, Mary Jane and Harry uh, and Aunt May are throwing Peter a happy birthday. Um, and in this scene, uh, it is a scene of three of the most important people in Peter's life, none of whom are talking to Peter with any regularity or each other with any regularity. No one is talking to anyone. Also, in the scene, Mary Jane just looks kind of weird and frumpy and does not look like this at all in any of the rest of the shots in the film, um, leading me to believe that this was a pickup shot and she showed up on the set and was like, look, I'm not sitting in makeup for two hours. Let, <laughs> let's shoot this thing. She's frumpy. It's Saturday night. Mary Jane doesn't care. Yeah. Uh, also fun to note, uh, her hair actually looks like a real hair color as opposed to the previous film where it was red, red. Yeah, it looks more like a natural strawberry blonde. Uh, so, uh, Peter talks to MJ awkwardly uh, and uh, says, yeah, I'm kind of into you, but I'm not really into you, but I'm kind of into you. And she's like, Ugh. I'm seeing someone, okay? Stop it. Yeah. And he's like, okay, but I'll still be creepy. She's like, whatever. <laughs> um, I'm still kind of into you. Why? Um, Harry is equally weirdly like, hey, man, she's really into you. You need to go to her, even though she totally dumped me and cheated on me with Spider-Man. And I... I, I kind of hate Spider-Man, but I'm not sure. But are you taking pictures? Well, anyway, I'm going to set you up, even though I think you're a bad person, I'm going to set you up with uh, the guy who's supposed to make my comp company a ton of money for an interview. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, on top of all this, we see the foreclosure notice on uh, Aunt May's house. And uh, we get this great scene where she's like, here, here's $20 for your birthday, Peter. And Peter's like, oh, cool, money, even though you're being foreclosed on. Even though I could totally, you know, 
live here with you and probably help you make ends meet. Instead, I'm going to live in the center of the city where I can't make rent and get yelled at by my abusive landlord. Yeah. Speaking of whom, we go and we see Peter's crappy room that he's renting from an abusive Russian landlord. <laughs> um, and why? Uh, anyhow, again, anything that is not the central conflict of this movie, just it rubs me the wrong way. If you enjoy it, please enjoy it. Please enjoy it. Don't let me ruin it for you. I do not enjoy it. Uh, so, uh, Peter makes plans, uh, is selling pictures to the Bugle still. Uh, we get a cute little bargaining scene between uh, J. Jonah Jameson and Peter, where he's like, I'll give you this. And Peter's like, 300 bucks. And he goes, that's outrageous. Done. And uh, great scene where he's like, if I don't have pictures of Spider-Man, let's run a picture of a rancid chicken and talk about food poisoning. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, good to see that journalism isn't like that in the real world. <laughs> Even though it's like that everywhere in the real world. Oh. I can't like that. Back to the movie. Yeah. Sorry, guys. I've got a bit of a headache, and I'm, I'm talking about the parts of the movie I don't enjoy. <laughs> So we get to meet Otto Octavius and Rosie, and even though this characterization of Otto Octavius is very different than the comic books or uh, other cartoons that we get of the character, I do like this origin story for the movie, that he is a brilliant physicist who connects with Peter on the fact that, hey, you're a guy who's swinging for an out-of-your-league girl. I get that. Rosie was out of my league. I get it. I, I want to take you under my wing. And there's there's this great relationship where Otto is trying to teach Peter to not be such a just absolute mess. He's like, look, man. He's like, you're smart, but you keep not doing the right thing. I want to teach you. It is possible it is possible to be brilliant, to do the right thing, and find the love of your life. And uh, it's in this that uh, he's talking to Peter, and somehow they completely stop talking about anything astrophysics and get way too personal. And, and uh, so, Peter, are you seeing anyone? Well, it's complicated. <laughs> and, and again, I have to point back to the kind of funny... Spider-Man reviews I highly recommend you listen to if you can tolerate some some more colorful language but they point out that it's like what no 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 not your Facebook profile are, are you seeing someone or no typically if I ask someone that you would get a yes or a no and and they point out on the podcast well, it's complicated. So I've kissed her twice, but the first time she didn't know that it was me kissing her. And uh, the second time was right after I'd murdered someone, but that's neither here nor there. Um, and so Otto's advice to Peter is read her poetry. And I'm like, no good advice is given. Yes. And Peter still doesn't hear about what the actual project is. Uh, 
But it sets up that Otto's got a big project coming up. And so I'm going to fast forward to the scene where we get the classic monster movie origin story. And it's at this point in the movie, after watching two Spider-Man movies in a row where Sam Raimi effectively does a universal monster movie without doing a universal monster movie, that I realize what I really want is for Sam Raimi to do a universal monster movie. Like a, a Frankenstein or a Wolfman or a mummy in the style of the 1930s monster movies. Because watch Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3, the best parts of those movies are monster movies. Yeah. So uh, Otto puts on uh, this demonstration uh, and he tells a really bad joke and Peter laughs way too loud. <laughs> Everyone in there does the polite chuckle, the ha 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 yeah, you're nerdy, but you're going to make us money. And Peter's like slapping his knees like, did you hear that? That's the best dad joke I've ever heard. <laughs> why aren't you laughing? Why aren't you laughing? And again, Peter's a dork. So uh, the experiment starts going sideways and Alfred Molina is acting circles around everyone in this movie as he's reassuring the people watching this science experiment go sideways. He gives a look to Rosie, his wife, and he, he's like, don't worry, everyone, it'll hold. And then he glances over and he gives this look and there's an expression on his face like, what did I do? And he doesn't say anything, but it's this perfect acting moment. And then everything goes wrong. Rosie's killed. Uh, Peter pops in and pulls the plug to stop the experiment. And in the process, uh, Otto is struck, fused to the octopus arms that he's using to, to control the experiment. And... And then we go outside afterwards, and so when everything goes sideways, Peter disappears. Everyone notices that Peter disappears. Spider-Man pops in, and then at the end, Peter walks out of the building and just looks around before we cut to the next scene. And no one goes, whoa, 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 where were you? Where did you go? Like, they evacuated the building like five minutes ago. Yeah. Where were you? <laughs> no one asking questions. Again, everyone knows he's Spider-Man. They just won't tell him that they know he's Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, so, after this, uh, we get a um, really great scene where it's, it's the classic monster attack scene and it's the best horror work that Sam Raimi has done in a while and it's the birth of Dr. Octopus where the surgeons are going to remove the octopus arms from Dr. Octopus and all of a sudden it's it's a really good horror movie that in about a, a three or four minute space of time where the octopus arms just slaughter this room of surgeons yeah um, and I really appreciate the way it's directed, the way it's done. Um, and that's, that's our intro introduction to the villain, Dr. Octopus. Um, 
I'm jumbling up this whole movie. It's all over the place. If this is your favorite movie and I'm butchering it, do your own podcast. Um, so, trying to figure out which path to follow. Peter goes out, and around this time, it's he started having little issues with being Spider-Man. His webs will give out, or he'll fall. And uh, in general, he's just having trouble with his powers. And so... Uh, he decides, hey, I'm going to go see Mary Jane's play. Goes, stops a bank robbery, and ultimately ends up not being able to make it into the play. Um, even though he just misses the doors closing, and realistically, if he waited like, I don't know, an hour, he'd be able to go in at the intermission. Yeah. Instead, he just sits out like a creepy loser <laughs> and uh, watches as MJ meets her boyfriend after the show. And uh, meanwhile, Dr. Octopus is uh, talking to his arms at his rundown pier. And uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to streamline these, these stories a bit. (laughs) Again, anything that is not the central conflict, I just, I'm going to go ahead and sum up all this stuff. Peter sucks at being Peter. Yeah. He's pretty good at being Spider-Man, except, for whatever reason, his spider powers are failing him. Uh, MJ, apparently doing an okay job in the importance of being Ernest, the most pretentious place she could possibly be in. (laughs) And, uh, in the meantime, uh, Dr. Octopus trying to figure out how he can redo the experiment that killed everyone he cared for. Because insane monster movie reasons. So, all of this kind of culminates in Peter goes to a bank with his Aunt May to take out a loan for the house. To basically retain ownership of the house. Uh, Joel McHale, uh, pre-hair job, uh, (laughs) uh, is the bank teller who's like, yeah, I'm sorry, that's not going to work. Um, Dr. Octopus attacks a bank that is almost exclusively doing business in gold coins. Um, This is around the time of the Sacagawea dollars, and they have way too many of them. (laughs) Um, We get a really awesome fight uh, between Dr. Octopus and Spider-Man. And it's this great cat and mouse game. And as I was watching the fight, I, I see the best aspects of the Jim Cameron script where Dr. Octopus is a villain. And it's these two villains based off of eight-limbed creatures. And they they are finding creative ways to fight each other. Their movements are unique. Their, their approaches to the fight is unique. And there's always this bit of outsmarting that each one is trying to use with the other one. And it just plays really, really, really well. And the the conflict between the two of them, it just works for me. The, the movie works when Dr. Octopus is facing off with Spider-Man. Um, Dr. Octopus uses uh, Aunt May as a hostage at one point. Uh, eventually, uh, 
Spider-Man's able to save Aunt, uh, Aunt May, and Dr. Octopus flees the scene. And after this, uh, the next major plot point is uh, Peter going and uh, doing the photography for uh, John Jameson, who is Mary Jane's boyfriend uh, at the planetarium uh, for uh, Jay Jonah, who goes around trying to schmooze with all of the higher ups. And uh, it's a fantastic scene where he and his wife are literally moving from uh, VIP to VIP, taking photo ops and eventually get to the mayor. And here's the mayor and his girlfriend, um, wife. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it's, it's this great, great moment of comedy by J.K. Simmons. Peter uh, sees MJ and approaches her awkwardly. And at this point, she says what she probably should have said a movie and a half ago, where she's like, will you stop it? Will you stop coming up to me? You, you are sending mixed signals. I can't keep thinking about you like this. Go away. And then right after this conversation, she accepts a proposal from her boyfriend. Yeah. And Peter goes off, web swings away, and his powers give out. And whereas before he just had a little bit of they were phasing out, this time they're they're like almost it's like you've got that couple of drops of gas in the gas tank, and you're like, alright, there's a gas station right there, but I think I can make it. It's a bad idea. And so Peter sits down and nothing is working the way he wants. He sucks at relationships with everyone around him. And his Spider-Man powers are not working. He has nothing to hang his hat on. He he sucks at life. Um, during the... Oh, during the planetarium thing, Harry comes up and smacks him around. Um, <laughs> because... Harry's drunk enough to finally have the conversation he probably should have had a year or so ago with him and and been like, hey, you're working with the guy who killed my dad. Um, And so Peter, at the end of his rope, decides he's not going to be Spider-Man anymore. But he decides to do it in the most awkward and stilted way possible. Um by talking to the ghost of Uncle Ben and saying, I am Spider-Man no more. Not saying, I'm not going to be Spider-Man anymore. I am Spider-Man no more. I go to work no more. (laughs) It's just a weird phrasing. I poop no more. (laughs) I trip small children no more. (laughs) You know, and... When you're doing your New Year's resolutions, I eat cake no more. <laughs> Whatever your your resolution is that you're not going to do anymore, phrase it like that from now on, just for people to ask questions. Yeah. Anyhow. Um, so after this, uh, Peter quits, but come to find out, uh, this is what makes him a decent person, is by not ignoring everything else, and so his grades go up, and... He's able to actually get dressed and not look like a nerd. And all of this would be great if it was a a sequence that showed him actually being a decent human being and not a nerd. 
Um, and instead we get a montage to raindrops keep falling on my head. And towards the end of the montage, he sees a massive enough event happening that ambulances and fire trucks are, are riding, but not just police cars, police on foot are running towards it. And Peter's eating a hot dog and he looks at it like, Oh, that again, I'll walk the other way. And not, not only is he not going to pay attention, he is completely self-centered at this point. <laughs> and I'm like, you're still a terrible person. <laughs> so all of this goes on until Peter figures out after going to Mary Jane's play that even this isn't making things better. And eventually he's confronted with the fact that he needs to do something. It, life, even though it's going better, isn't what it needs to be. His, he's not fulfilling his destiny. And it, it culminates in a fire where he goes in, uh, not really being able to use his powers, and he tries to save someone, and not being Spider-Man, trying to and saving a little girl, hears about the guy that died on the floor above, and he's just absolutely conflicted. How's he going to deal with that conflict? We'll find out when we come back after a short break. Okay, so Peter is conflicted. He's realizing that he needs to do something crime is up all over the city he's he's starting to feel everything spiral again even though he quit doing the thing that was giving him some meaning um life is still just kind of catching up with him and eventually he breaks down when talking with aunt may after visiting uncle ben's grave and lets her know hey i'm pretty sure i'm the reason uncle ben's dead and there's this great moment with uh, Rosemary Harris who plays Aunt May where they're sitting at the the kitchen table when Peter says this and he's holding her hand and she just pulls away from him gets up walks upstairs and slams the door and it is fantastic for a movie that has tons and tons of cheesy dialogue and badly written scenes that is an amazing scene and Peter's figuring out whether he's meant to be here or not. Later, uh, Peter meets up with Aunt May and he's apologizing to her and she's like, no, 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 don't worry about it. Just, it's past us, it's behind us. Uh, or as the Simpson would say, and we're never going to talk about it ever again. Um, we're gonna do what we're doing in every other relationship in this movie. We're not going to talk about it. Um, but she gives Peter a speech where she basically says, hey, everyone's missing Spider-Man. And yeah, it, it, it sucks that he's not around. He's, he's needed, he's wanted. We need heroes to look up to. And Peter realizes he needs to do something. And this speech is what Peter needs to go out and try to be Spider-Man again. I like the point when she was giving him the speech, though. There was a look at one point that she just kind of gave him, like, we need Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. 
And with the look of saying, I know you're Spider-Man. So, yes and, and no in, in that it fits in with my theory that she knows he's Spider-Man, but every interaction after this in this movie and the next one, she gives no indication that she knows he's Spider-Man. Yeah. This is not solely to this franchise or this section of Spider-Man movies. It will happen in the next couple of Spider-Man <laughs> movies as well, um, yeah. where I'm going to act like I know you're Spider-Man, but then I don't know you're Spider-Man. Right. Uh, and that will eventually be cured at a later point. And we'll <laughs> talk about that then. Um, but... Yeah, uh, Peter goes out, he decides he's going to be Spider-Man, goes out and does the running rooftop scene from the first movie, only to fall and bust his back on a car. Yeah, I'm like, how did he not die in that fall? So, movie logic. Yes, I know. So, people are thrown through walls all over the place in this movie and they survive. True. So, <laughs> but anyhow, Peter meets with MJ, uh, who has kissed her boyfriend upside down to see... Uh, if there's the spark there that there was with Spider-Man, and there's not. And she goes and... Oh, fiancé. I forgot. They're engaged yeah, they at this engaged. point. She's sending, she's filling out wedding invitations. Yep. So, Peter and her meet at a coffee shop, and uh, he's like... He had tried to get her to rekindle the flame when he visited her earlier uh, and visiting her now, she's like, okay, we need to talk. And he's like, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, actually, I was right. No, we, we don't need to be an item. <laughs> and she is like, stop torturing me. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, they are in an abusive cycle. Uh, and uh, she goes, okay, okay, kiss me. He goes, what? She goes, kiss me. And they're about to kiss, and a car gets thrown through the window. And uh, Dr. Octopus, hired by Harry to bring in Peter in exchange for Tritium, or bring in Spider-Man, pardon yeah. me, um, kidnaps Mary Jane, throws Peter through a wall after being told, don't hurt Peter. <laughs> um, which would have, at the very least, caused him to breathe and drink through a straw for the rest of his life. Um, <laughs> Peter jumps up and all of a sudden he's back. Um, goes, gets back the Spider-Man costume that he threw away that J. Jonah Jameson got a hold of. And he's back. And from this point, for the most of the rest of the runtime, I'm in. Yeah. Um, Peter goes after Dr. Octopus, who's hidden Mary Jane. Uh, we get an awesome fight through the city on the top of a train. Uh just amazing, amazing use of both the spider powers and Dr. Octopus's abilities. Dr. Octopus will grab people off the train, throw them uh, so that Spider-Man has to catch them. Uh, Spider-Man uh, swinging around under the train using all the uh, planes of existence. Um, well, all of the planes of uh, movement three dimensions, up, down, left, right, all the, the planes that way. He's not traveling through time, at least not yet. Um, eventually, Dr. Octopus 
uh, rips out the brake of the train and pieces out. Uh, Peter stops the train uh, with the most horrendous look on his face after his mask is ripped off. Um, and it pulls me out every time. Uh, I understand it's probably the face that someone who's trying to stop a um, 2,000 ton train from yeah. falling off the tracks. Um, that said, it is not a face that says heroic. It is a face that says, I just pulled something. Um, he is passed over the crowd who all see his face, but uh, not one of them uh, in New York City decides they're going to take a picture and sell it. Um, again, everyone already knows, no one cares. Yeah. They give him back his mask, uh, and everyone stands between Spider-Man and Dr. Octopus, Dr. Octopus just pushes him out of the way, knocks Peter out, takes him to Harry all wrapped up in uh, razor wire. Uh, Dr. Octopus gets the tritium he needs for his experiment, goes away. Harry gives a speech about looking into the eyes of his father's killer before he dies. Um, and then when he sees it's Peter, he just drops the knife. And then Peter, instead of going hey, there's been a big mix-up and talking his way out of it rips out of the razor wire proving that he's Spider-Man and and Harry is obviously messed up by this and and instead of saying hey, Harry I didn't kill your father we need to have a conversation as soon as this is done. I need to know where MJ is, and as soon as she's safe, I will be back. We will have a conversation. Instead, he says, there are bigger things here than you or me. <laughs> At no point does he deny killing Harry's father. Yeah. <laughs> At no point does he set the record straight or establish any sort of trust or relationship. Instead, he is the most self-centered jerk. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Anyhow, uh, Harry's like, okay, he's at the docks. Uh, Peter goes, uh, saves Mary Jane, fights Dr. Octopus to the point where he knocks the sense out of him long enough that he regains enough of his control um, that he's able to process when Peter rips off his mask and shows who he is and he's able to converse with him. Mm -hmm. And he's like, hey, how do I stop this? Dr. Octopus is like, uh, you can't. And he goes, we need to figure out a way to stop this. And so at that point, Otto Octavius realizes, okay, I've made a mess. We've got to stop this. And so he goes and he decides to take down effectively the sun that he's creating yeah. in the bay. Peter saves MJ's swings away as Dr. Octopus kills himself to take out the sun. And at this point, Mary Jane now knows that Peter is Spider-Man. And they have a very stilted conversation about if my enemies knew, then they would use you against... They already... They figure it out. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. And again, his reasoning is so poor. And he's doing the right thing for absolutely the wrong reason. Learning absolutely the wrong lesson. Yep. And so 
he lowers Mary Jane and swings away. And it would be tragic if it wasn't just dumb. <laughs> and like I said, the movie had me for the most part. Anytime that Peter and MJ are talking, the movie loses me. And so MJ goes to her wedding. In the meantime, Harry is drinking to forget because his whole world has been flipped upside down and sees Willem Dafoe, Norman Osborn, in the mirror in a cameo. And uh, someone pointed out, it's like when Norman went insane in the first movie, it was because he had the gas. Mm -hmm. Harry's just drunk. Yeah. Why is he saying things? Head cannon. Norman didn't die in the last movie. Uh, movies never got there. Never got to prove it. Um, but Norman wasn't dead. He was manipulating his son into becoming the goblin. It makes what happens next make a little bit more sense. Yeah. This is my head cannon. Not official, just this is how I make sense of what happens next. Harry throws the dagger that he was going to use Spider-Man through the mirror, goes in and finds his dad's workshop full of goblin equipment. And in a leap of logic, Harry doesn't go, oh my gosh, my dad was the green goblin. Wait a second, he died with wounds that looked like goblin stuff. Hey, the goblin murdered a bunch of people hey maybe spider-man wasn't a bad guy yeah. no instead nope spider-man's bad guy i'm gonna become the next goblin okay. um when we get to the wedding in the next scene uh harry's wearing a green bow tie signifying yes he took the goblin serum uh mary jane doesn't show up to her own wedding instead in a very graduate like ending as the wedding song plays mary jane runs happy through the streets to peter's sad ass apartment and she goes up and gives the worst reason why she's going to be with Peter isn't it time someone saved you oh, uh, oh no no we're we're starting off on the worst foot <laughs> anyhow uh but they're together now they kiss he hears the police scanner which is probably just a noise complaint and then swings away, and the camera lingers on Mary Jane's grim face, and she realizes, this is our life now. Yeah. And that's the end of the movie. And, again, the highs of this movie, anytime that Spider-Man is finding Dr. Octopus, anytime Alfred Molina is acting, we get these high, great, just meaningful moments. And then anytime there's any sort of Mary Jane and Peter talk, it is awful. It is so bad. And I just, I want to shake the writers. I just want to grab them and shake them and just go, look at what you did. Yeah. Look at what you did. Like I you're have... taking a dog and putting their face next to their mess. Yeah. And just look at what you did. How much of that was the writers and how much of it was just there was no chemistry between the so, two of them? There is enough chemistry between the two of them. Okay. Between the first movie and, and this movie. Uh, specifically, uh, the scene with him as Spider-Man and her as Mary Jane in the alley. Here, in the point where they come together, the chemistry is there. But the dialogue is not. Okay. 
And if the dialogue backed up the chemistry, I would believe it. Yeah. But the dialogue does not. Because they should be able to talk to two, they should be able to talk to each other as people. Right. And the most realistic dialogue they have is at the planetarium where he's starting to, to be his, the way he talks to her through the rest of the movies. And she finally has a moment of real humanity and goes, this has to stop. Right. I can't keep thinking about you. Leave me alone. Yeah. And that is the best scene between the two of them in this movie. And that was the moment where I perked up and said, hey, there's, I can see a bit of what apparently the producers saw. Right. But it never made it into the movie. And I think the chemistry's there. But the writing never supported that chemistry. And I don't know who is to blame, or even if anyone is to blame. It just, it did not line up. And so, again, as a teenager who was a late bloomer, romantically, and for the most part, when I was looking to relationships, looked to movies to get clues on how to pull off <laughs> romance, this was another bad cinematic example. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's just, it's bad. People, people don't talk like that. Yeah. Anyhow, the the movie's fine. The movie's good. Uh, people hold this in very high regard. Uh, consider it one of the best superhero movies ever. I think people's memory of how good this is is, is, is better than how the movie actually is. There are great moments in this movie. I will not argue. There are great moments in this movie. But the lows in this movie just, they hurt me. Yeah. They hurt me. Yeah. Um, I think with a little bit better dialogue, it, it would be great. Because yeah. I don't think... This movie almost made me eat my words about Tobey Maguire. He's, he's fine in this movie. Yeah. But the writing just doesn't support it. And so, uh, again, I, I would rather watch the original Spider-Man than this one. Uh, <laughs> just because there's less dialogue between him and Mary Jane. Um, but neither one of these movies is is a fantastic superhero movie. It, it's a time and a place. It's, yeah. it's a time and a place. And I firmly believe it's worth a rewatch. And if it's on, watch the movie. It's, it's fun. And learn from this movie. Uh, cinematically, we learn from, from old movies. The Wizard of Oz, without our nostalgia, is not a great movie. <laughs> I have just angered a bunch of people. Forward this to your friends. The Wizard of Oz, without nostalgia, is not a great movie. <laughs> but it is great for what it did and what it did first and what it did best at the time. And that was telling an entertaining story. Uh, bringing together characters, bringing together a musical, effectively putting on an elaborate stage play. Yeah. And doing it in about 90 minutes. Yeah. It's great for those reasons. It's not great as a Hollywood telling of the right. Oz story. It's great because of what it was at the time. Yes. 
the Spider-Man movies are great for what they were at the time. They're not great for what they are now. They're great for what they were in 2002 and 2004. And so I will always appreciate them for that. So, guys, oh. next week, buckle up. If you thought <laughs> this week was rough critically just because I had a little bit of a headache, wait for next week. Next week, we're talking about Spider-Man 3, and I'm watching a version I've never seen before. It's the editor's cut. Uh, the difference between what came out in theaters and this one is this one was cut by the editor of the first two Spider-Man movies to align more with those two movies mm -hmm. rather than it being what it ended up being. I'm going to tell you right now, first time I watched Spider-Man 3, I walked out of the theater angry. We're going to watch this movie. I have very low expectations for how I'm going to walk away from it. When did it come out? 2007. You and I went and saw it either right before we got married or right after. Okay. One of the two. I was trying to remember if I saw it with you. It came out roughly two weeks before we got married. Okay. So, buckle up, guys. This one's going to be a mess. <laughs> this, this next one, I can't wait to talk about the behind the scenes of it. I will probably talk about that more than the movie itself. The next movie... Next week's episode is a story about studio interference and how not to make a superhero movie. Uh, it's, it's a story of how everything can go wrong and ruin your view of filmmaking. <laughs> so guys, I cannot wait. I'm looking forward to it if for no other reason than as a cautionary tale. All right. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to talking about it. Even if I'm not looking forward to the movie that much, yeah. I am looking forward to talking about it. So. Guys, come in next week. We're gonna talk about Spider-Man Three. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get salty. I'm gonna say some stuff that we're all gonna regret. It's gonna be fun. Just pour yourself a glass of whatever your favorite beverage is. Sit in your favorite chair. Just fire up that podcast app and and sit with us as we talk about Spider-Man Three. It's been fun, guys. We'll talk next week on more favorite things. Bye.